You're listening to the Precision Shooting Podcast, discussing all aspects of precision and long-range rifle shooting. This episode is brought to you by Projectile Warehouse. Find your perfect projectile. And now, over to your hosts. Well, hello and welcome to the Precision Shooting Podcast. Uh, My name is Rusty, uh, and with me tonight, uh, back with the original crew, uh, Andrew to my right. How are you, Andrew? Very good, thanks. And yourself? Yeah, not bad. And over there, over there for those who are watching this one, is Greg. How you doing, Greg? Yeah, good. Self? Yeah, not bad. Not bad. Well, it's been been a little while. How you guys been? Yeah, good, mate. Good. Yeah? Not shooting enough. No, that's uh, the usual caper, isn't it? Normally, uh, not shooting as much as we'd all like. Um, Craig, you brought a gun in tonight. Um, let us uh, tell us about what the what the story is, mate. Tell uh, us a bit about it. Yeah. So, look, what what I've I've done is uh, I, I was running for for a thermal rig, um, and you'll probably remember from previous episodes. Um, uh, Andrew talked about you know better configurations for like a thermal rig getting in and out of cars and that sure. sort of stuff. So from there I went and from from those ideas that I stole from him quite uh, <laughs> openly, um, I went uh, and got a chassis for my yep. Tika. So I ended up getting an MDT ESS. Yeah, nice. Um, which I'm really happy with. So I've, yeah, it looks good. I've had um, a couple of nights out shooting with it. And mm-hmm. um, like it's my first chassis. Um but, you know, in comparison to a standard, I was running a uh, Tika Supervarmint uh, compared to a standard Supervarmint stock. Yeah. Uh, yep. A lot more stable for me. So Brilliant. So, really, really like it. Um, and well, you, you've been drinking long? <laughs> you <laughs> just started. Sam just missed his mouth yeah. uh, with a drink. Yeah, put so. it into my face. Yeah. But not my mouth. Yeah. Anyway. But, um, yeah, and the other thing I picked up was a uh, one, of, one of the challenges with thermal hunting is is judging range oh yeah um, it's very very difficult to judge range accurately through a thermal scope mm-hmm. um so i picked up a um silencer co um radius so i fitted that to the yes chassis. and I, re- I remember you ordering that um at an irish pub <laughs> yeah <laughs> with the uh, ben from the armory yeah uh, and i seem to remember i ordered one as well and um I'm suspecting those kill turkeys perhaps had a bit of a uh, hand to play in the fact that Ben may not have remembered that. Did you remind him afterwards? No, I didn't even know you had ordered one. No, so but did you remind him about yours afterwards? Oh, yeah, afterwards? I, I followed up. Ah, oh, see, yeah. maybe that's where I've gone wrong. <laughs> and, and I, didn't, I, I assumed I, that the uh, few uh, kill kennies in that they were still going to... Uh, <laughs> and, and I paid him the next day, so that probably helped things a lot that, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, I can see why I didn't end up with one now. Yeah, but yeah, definitely if... Um, uh, the radius there, basically, Sam, you pointed out, I think, Sam or Andrew, that they were half price in the US at the moment. So yep, I did let you know that. Yeah, if you are keen for one of those. Um, are they still that, that way? At the moment, they are. They are. Um, but ben Jensen, if you're yeah, listening. Ben Jensen. So ben from, <laughs> Hook us armory, up. ben from the armory, uh, get on to him. He's got a good contact for getting him into Australia pretty quick. Yeah. Uh, no problem. So, uh, And also, he's uh, he's getting in the... MDT ESS chassis as well. So yeah, got yeah. one of those on order. Yep. So Ben from the Armory, if you want any of those, <laughs> just uh, plugging away. Well, yeah, while we 
Well, we are plugging away. Um, one of our sponsors, Projectile Warehouse, that one there, um, we've got a 10% voucher for any, and 10% off, not 10% on, 10% off voucher for anyone listening. So if you go over to the Projectile um, Warehouse website, and you put in, uh, in the coupon area, PSP, as in Precision Shooting Podcast, and then 10, that would take 10% off all orders. Uh, and that is going through to the end of July. So make sure you hit that up uh, and save some money. Mm. That'd be good. Very good. Andrew, any stories to tell? Are you, uh, are you allowed to reveal what you're doing tomorrow? Oh, I'm at work all day, <laughs> Sam, at work all day. That's what I thought. Hard That's what work. I thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, working yeah. hard. Be a different work environment, but I'll be hard at work. <laughs> good, good. No. Oh, we'll move on from that discussion then. Um, cool. So it's been, I'm, I'm trying to remember the last time we all sat down and did one of these because we've, we've, we've had a few other podcasts go out since, uh, since that. Was that before the PRS? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. So it's a it's a little while ago then. Um, so yeah, uh, as as we put in that last podcast, we did PRS based. It went well. It was good fun. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed myself. I did make, and I, I'm going to harp on this point just to rub it into the other guys. The uh, that I stayed in a motel and made the uh, the smart decisions, and uh, it was 22 degrees a night, and uh, it was quite nice and comfortable. Not minus one. Um, but anyway, those those listening will remember uh, how cold it was, um, and yeah, it was good good fun time. Really enjoyed it, and uh, waiting we're waiting to be able to release information on the next event um, once we actually have that information confirmed. So, I think I think I'm allowed to say we're the we're the official media partner of PRS Australia. Not that that means a lot. We just talk about it from time to time on the podcast. <laughs> that's that's what that actually means. Um, but the uh, the the details, as soon as we have them to hand, we'll be putting them out, um, whatever the event may be. And so, we've had a, a few questions and and emails and stuff, and I think we just wanted to follow up on a few things in this particular episode. Um, and we also have Facebook Live going at the moment, and uh, people maybe uh, well, there's a few people watching us. Hey guys, how you doing? Um, so if anyone is actually watching on Facebook and wants to hit us up with something to uh, discuss or add into the question mix, please do. Um, so there was a, a message that came through. Oh, perhaps I shall read it out, which I haven't thought this through well because my phone is now being used for um, for Facebook Live and that's probably the best place to read the message off. Anyway, um, we shall adapt and overcome so, um, gentleman by the name of Ben writes in. Uh, he said he's enjoying listening, been planning an F-class uh, open build for a while now, but you've turned me towards the light. Uh, so he has a question about actions. Um, I'm a big fan of the the learn to shoot what you already have school of thought, which is which is good and, and a financially a good way to do it. The currently has a um, Howard Varmint 22-50 that he's uh, honing his reloading skills with, but he's considering rebarreling to a more appropriate caliber for PRS-style shooting. Will this give me a better dollar versus capability return than buying, say, a Ticker, Rem 700, or even a custom action? Um, 
And there's another question, but perhaps let's cover that one there. So an interesting point, and I think a lot of guys are going to find this as that PRS stuff becomes more popular. They've got something that's uh, that's appropriate, the 22 to 50. Um, great one to sort of break in on and, and get to know your skills. And, and then uh, do we rebarrel that one and and repurpose it, or do we buy something different and... If we do buy something different, do we go through a ticker or rem or something equivalent, or do we bump it up and uh, uh, get a defiance? Well, I'm going to say uh, Greg would be happier if you uh, if you get yourself a defiance, put some more money in his pocket. Um, but you know, if we take that out of the equation, what are you guys thinking? I guess it it depends probably on how much he really wants to spend. I mean, if you were to rebarrel it. Sort of, I guess, what's it about a thousand dollars or so to, yeah, to rebarrel with a decent barrel? Yeah. So, but then you've got to look at the the rest of the system as well. Um, you know, the stock, for example. You know, and the and the sort of the feeding system is it a presumably it'll be a um, a fixed. You know, magazine system won't be a detachable mag. It may possibly be detachable, but yeah, it could be for a hour. I yep. guess for the you know for the PRS type stuff, a you know detachable mag is very preferable yeah it almost um, i would say essential it really is essential yeah for that type of thing so i mean i guess you know initially i mean say he was to have a uh you know the the factory detachable magazine option mm-hmm. you know a straight rebarrel with a good match barrel would be say a thousand odd dollars and that's going to put him into you know he'll be up and going you know yep. in, in a six five creed more or whatever he wants to run sure and then i guess he'd always have the op- you know the opportunity or the option to to go with a an aftermarket stock or a chassis so i mean like the one you got there greg would be obviously it takes you know ai compatible magazines yeah yep. so there's sub sub a thousand dollars are they greg or around yeah, that sort of money about a thousand bucks once you get it posted yeah yeah okay yeah, just over yeah so i mean you look at say roughly a couple of grand he, he would have a you know a Pretty good power is a good action there's no doubt about it yeah mm. um you know good action match grade barrel with a you know, top line sort of chassis fitted and there's enough there's enough accessories around now for the howers that you're really you're really not necessarily uh hugely limited no no mm. it's, good, it's it good triggers and you know it's good rails and that's mm. pretty much all you need really mm. um so i personally i'd probably say going down the line of you know without wanting to outlay big dollars I mean, you look at what are the the new Tika um, TAC A ones? What are they? About three grand, three one. Yeah, just over three. Yeah. yeah. So you know, he's he's going to come out, you know, effectively with uh, you know outlaying less money and and sort of similar capabilities, I guess. Hmm. So, you know, I would probably suggest going down that line of uh, working on the platform he's got. Sure. Unless he, you know, he's like Greg has got plenty to throw around. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, well, no, that's a that's a fair point. Um, certainly a fair point. One of the oh, Greg, what's your take on it? Oh, look, I, I'm, I'm much in the same vein as um, uh, Andrew. Uh, you know, I, I haven't done a lot of builds myself, but um, I'm a fan of rebarreling. Yeah, um, I've only had positive experiences with with rebarreling. So, okay. um, I think it probably comes down to how much you've already spent on the peripherals. If you've already got a chassis that Sure. For that action, yeah, yeah. If you've, you know, it's, it's a whole equation you've you've got to put down. But like what what Andrew suggested is a is a great idea for that. Like basically, rebarrel that how our action into a into a um, 
aftermarket chassis, you, you'd be in a pretty good place to get out there and compete. There's all sorts of ways you can go with it, isn't there? Yeah, that's right. Um, and, and I don't think anything is particularly wrong. One of the things that I'd probably sort of bring up as a possible point, perhaps get your feedback on it again, um, for me, uh, I like having a 22 to 50. And so I, I like having that as my varmint spotlighting night gun. And so I, I'd be more inclined to buy something separate to then work on, um, mm. to work on actually competing. Now, could be, could be that he buys a Howard again. Mm. If he's comfortable with that action, knows it very well and familiar with it, mm. to buy the same thing in a 6.5 Creed or something like that um, in the Howard could be mm. a, another option. Um, but, I, you know, I'd probably sort of go a little bit more towards keeping um, uh, keeping the 250 running as a 250. I mean, it depends on his situation. If he rarely gets out spotlighting or anything like that, then, mm. yeah, of course, it would be a good option. But if he does spotlight regularly, I'd, I'd probably keep that and, and yeah. build something separate mm. um, because uh, – and perhaps a bit of clarity around that. You know, you're not always going to utilise um, different ammo in one gun. It's mm. quite possible to do, but you, you may be – you may be limited in running something a bit more targety type projectile in um, in for your competition setup and something a bit more sort of varmint based for your um uh, for your spotlighting sort of stuff because I know I've I've you know spotlighted with my two sixty sort of comp gun and it was it was I I basically had to shoot them in the head because that's the only way they would actually drop comfortably so yes. um which. Yeah, so that's that's perhaps one thought, but I think the point you raise up, Greg, is mm. um, how much has been spent on those peripheral items. Yeah. If he's invested heavily in accessories and bits and pieces for that gun, mm. then a, a rebarrel makes heaps of sense. Yeah. Heaps of sense. Mm. Yeah, or if uh, you know he's not intending to use the gun, you know, if he's not a spotlight, yeah, or yeah. It, it's just his mm. his first centerfire or whatever it might be. Completely. Yeah. yeah I mean, you, if you you know leave it as is and go and build something from scratch then it's basically going to sit in the safe and not get used you may as well utilize it so mm. i guess it depends on his you know intention his application so yeah and i had i had a similar question somewhere else the other day and uh i was on the phone somewhere someone rang me about something and i um and the the question came up rebarreled for a more appropriate caliber and I, I honestly don't recall what they were running at the time, but um, the, the question did come up and, and I thought, well, if there's no particular need to rebarrel like now, get the most out, out of that barrel because by the time you finish wearing that barrel out, you'll be a pretty good shot you know, you, if, you, mm. if you're conscious about it. So you could actually make the most of the life of that barrel so that when you then upgrade from it, mm. You haven't got any sort of wasted money. You haven't got a barrel there that's still got life on it that you're not utilising. I guess it depends as well because I think with with certainly there's velocity limitations with PRS or oh, sure, you know, sure, whatever. Yeah. So you know if that's a concern, then you know you can't go in and run you know thirty eight hundred feet a second loads with a two fifty for example. No. So yeah, and and yeah, absolutely, and that will depend on where he. Um, yeah, if he's going to intend to compete in the next six months or so and not wear his barrel out, or if he's in a position where he actually will wear that barrel out in the next six months or nine months or whatever. So, yeah, of course, lots of lots of unknowns. Um, so on to the second part of the question. Let's say he decides to uh, keep the Howard as it is. Oh, the age-old question of what does he buy next? Um, perhaps let's let's talk about it from a, a concept of uh, like a ticker Remy type um, 
uh, type scenario to a custom action? Where where do you draw the line on that? I, I think without knowing his budget, it's a little bit difficult to to know because mm-hmm. I think, I mean, a a defiance, for example, or, you know, something of that level, you're looking at over two thousand dollars for the action alone. Oh, Greg will hook you up, I'm sure. Yeah. So yeah, be three and a three and a half. Three yeah. and a half. <laughs> so I mean, you got that that alone versus I mean, you can buy a a base model, um, you know, Tika or Rem seven hundred for mm. you know half that. So. Yeah, it's one of those things. It comes down to how much money you've got to spend on it, or you, you know, you're prepared to spend on it. You know, custom gear is nice. So there's no doubt about it. Uh, you know, Defiance is certainly a lot nicer than a Tika or a Rem, mm. but uh, mm. not essential. So, uh, without knowing sort of what he wants to spend, it's a little bit difficult to to say how he should go. I guess given that he seems to be a fairly, you know, fairly new shooter in the sort of in the scene, I'd probably suggest. You know, going something modified factory to start with. Sure. I don't yep. necessarily think he's going to get big benefit from going with a Defiance. Yeah. Yep. And if he's got heaps of money and he likes nice gear, then yeah, by all means, go ahead. But I mean, Tika's a very, very nice action for the money. You know, they're smooth, like yeah. Yeah, pretty hard to fault them. A lot of aftermarket sort of bits and pieces available too. So. Yeah. And I think also, Sam, I think you mentioned to me too that. A lot of the the the, the practical rifle because I haven't actually competed in in one of the PRIs or PRSs, but I know there's a lean towards possibly bigger targets with more of an emphasis on positional technique. Um, so, so I think it's a it's a balance. It's a um, so you're talking about the US guy saying, you know, that when you choosing target size that necessarily having small targets isn't what it's about where i'm heading is yeah yep focusing on positional type elements rather than pure accuracy out of your rifle might be a better place to lean in the early stages entering than than worrying about shooting mosquitoes at 400 meters you know yeah so basically you know if you've got a, a half moa gun that is you know, well suited physically to you know shooting barricades and that sort of thing. Yeah. It's better than a an F class style rifle that's heavy, unbalanced, that shoots eighth of a minute, for example. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's not going to be the difference. Hmm. You know, that level of accuracy is not so much what the focus is on. It's more the you know, getting yeah. into position quickly, getting into position settling, and getting the shot yeah. released. Yeah, and follow up. So, um, a couple of questions are coming through. Um. <clears throat> Which is the benefit, or maybe some comments as well, sure. um, which is which is excellent. So we're we're more than welcome for uh, people to disagree with us. That's uh, that's good. So the um, uh, Andy McNeil suggested to buy another Howard Barrett action because they're cheap, because they're what five six hundred dollars, yeah, okay. something along yeah. those lines. And good they point. sell them as a as a barreled action rather than a whole yeah. platform. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So it's um yeah certainly plenty of uh, um. Uh, plenty of options with that yep. as well. So, yeah. yeah, but, you know, Greg obviously wants everyone to buy Defiance actions. So that's, <laughs> that's the best way. So. I mean, for, you know, for example, if you, if you could get, get a, um, you know, a Howard barreled action, you know, a varmint barrel, mm. um, and the triggers on the Howards are pretty good and they can certainly be worked on to mm. to get them really nice, you know, and say 6.5 Creed and, and then put it into a MDT chassis, you're going to come out of that even if you fit a brake to it. You know, for, yeah. for under two grand. Yep. 
So it's probably not a not a bad option. Yeah, not a bad little setup. Mm. Mm. Yeah, well and truly. Um, now the second part of um, the question here. Let me turn around to her to check this one out. Could you also talk about uh, lapping chewing bolts? As I've noticed, uneven wear on the lugs. Andrew, I'm going to throw okay. that one to you. I think. Yeah. Look, there's. I guess there's a little bit of difference between lapping and you know, chewing, depending on the level of like how how uneven the contact is. Um, to a fair degree, I, I'd probably wouldn't recommend doing either unless you're fitting a new barrel. Because uh, basically what it's doing is actually setting the bolt back a little bit. If you put lapping paste on the on the you know the bearing surfaces of your you know your um, locking lugs, and then proceed to, to lap it, what it's effectively doing is setting the bolt back a, a very small amount. Mm-hmm. Uh, so certainly, if you're going to go down that option, particularly with truing, if you're going to be putting the bolt up in a lathe and taking a cut off those faces, yep. Yep. definitely you would want to do it only if you're rebarreling so that you would do the work on the action and then take all your measurements and then cut and your then barrel to suit. Barrel. Yep. Um, you can certainly, you could lap, depending on how uneven the contact is, you could certainly lap the lugs on a factory gun Yep. Um, as long as they're not too far out. Um, yeah, without seeing the, the particular action, you, you're never going to get them perfectly even, uh, particularly on a factory action without as it going down the rebarreling line. Yep. And I'm not sure, to be honest, that, you know, uh, just purely lapping them on a factory action if you're not rebarreling is going to give you a, a really worthwhile advantage. Yeah, okay. Um, they tend to kind of work themselves in anyway over a fair bit of time. But I certainly wouldn't touch the bolt as far as, uh, you know, putting it in a lathe and, and taking a cut off the bearing surfaces, like the bolt, you know, the bearing surfaces on the lugs. Sure. Yep. At most, I would lap it, but again, what it's actually doing is setting it back, so it will change your headspace measurements, and it's not going to be by a lot. Mm-hmm. And you've got about roughly four thou between you know the go and the no go on headspace, so you're never going to take that off with lapping unless you put beach sand in there and lap with that. <laughs> but so, yep. to be honest, I, I wouldn't bother personally unless I was rebarreling. I guess the long and short of it. Yeah, okay. So when you're going to get your work done, get it all done at once. Correct. Yep. Rather than bit by bit. Yeah, and it actually is more meaningful too because you can actually, you know, properly, mm. if, if your lugs Make are really, really not evenly bearing, then you can address that issue at the time yep. before your barrel's fitted and uh, actually fix the problem. Yeah, okay. Yeah, cool. So, um, so worthwhile getting, um, yeah, getting it all done together. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, nice. Um, we've got some general banter going on off the uh, Facebook live stream, but not necessarily related to exactly what we're talking about. So, um, but um, someone did want to make mention that there is the um, the practical rifle shoot in NT, which we will talk about shortly as well. Um, so I think we've covered off on Ben's questions. Um, ben, whatever else you've got to ask us, let us know, mate. Um, but it is, you know, a lot of this stuff is becoming quite common questions and, and regular sort of interest because of the, you know, with PRS sort of become more prevalent uh, here. And, of course, there's more events come on board. Um, we'll certainly see more of it. Mm, so, stuff. yeah, but I think we've, we've probably uh, covered enough. You, you'll, there'll be something we'll, we'll cover off at the end of this uh, podcast that might be very helpful for a lot of those guys who are going to uh, get into PRS who are very new to it. 
So as I alluded to before, uh, the next sort of major match in terms of practical or precision rifle shooting uh, is the um, NT practical rifle shoot, which is at the beginning of August, um, August 4th to 6th, and I'm planning on heading up uh, this stage. Yeah, rumour is you're going to have a shot. I'm, right? I may actually get behind a gun um, for the first time uh, comp uh, in a long time, so that should be uh, really good fun um, because normally I'm behind the iPad uh, yeah. <laughs> getting yeah. scoring or whatever it is I'm doing. And um, I, it was good that you uh, off air you mentioned that if you uh, if you won that AI, it was going to be passed on to me. So yeah, it was good. Yeah, podcast yeah. prize, yeah. wasn't it? But then yeah. you um, yeah. then you neg. You said, nah, I'm not interested. I'm I'm all for Desert Tech. So I shall uh, I shall leave that. Well, Greg's got the Defiant sorted out. So um, so if that if I do win that AI, um, you can shoot it if you like, Andrew. Uh, I could probably think of things I'll do to it, but I won't mention them <laughs> you on You won't air. shoot it. All right, no. okay. Good. Um, yeah, so yeah, looking looking forward to it. I've just got to um, – I'm, I'm debating whether I go down the um, – the, the preferred approach and actually sort of get some practice in and some time and some load development done and all that sort of gear. Or I take the uh, the Scotty and Andy approach and just sort of th- put a gun together the night before and uh, and hope <laughs> for the best. So I'm... Uh, <laughs> you made up a trainer, didn't you? Yeah. Well, I've got a trainer, but, mm. you know, um, but it's a long time between now and August and I don't know whether <laughs> what I'm shooting now is actually what I'm going to be shooting in the, uh, in well, the comp. Yeah. What was the drill the, uh, in your last podcast with the Aussie PRS shooter? You said the 11 second drill or whatever it was. Oh, with uh, Paul Reed. Yeah, yeah the yeah, 11, uh, 11 you second drill. In the lounge room with the missus and kids. Yep. Yeah, that's um, the 11 second drill is a, a good option um, for sure. Just, uh, you know, I'm pretty time poor and 11 seconds is a long time really in the scheme of things. So mm. that's, uh, you yeah, know, that's podcast editing I could be doing right there <laughs> or uh, perhaps working on the PRI video. <laughs> Maybe. So, um, butters wouldn't be that lucky. <laughs> no, no, another couple of years on that PRI video, butters. Um, so we, uh, yeah, so that's that's the next one on the calendar. So, guys, if you are thinking about, um, about like, well, wanting to get into the next shot, uh, the next shoot, um, that one, I mean, Darwin in August, that's, um, it's not going to be zero degrees. Yeah, it's not going to be zero degrees. It's going to be pretty darn nice. 30-odd degrees, I would imagine, August, sunny. Still a bit, still dry up there, isn't it? Oh, yeah, the middle of the dry. It'd be beautiful. Yeah, it'd be lovely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, So, yeah, August's going to be beautiful up there and uh, and should be good fun. Shoot, Butters does run a good comp, from what I'm told, I assume. (laughs) It's got got a pretty, pretty healthy-looking prize table, I think. Yeah, that's it. There's some good incentive for guys to go there. So, guys, if you're thinking about getting up to the next practical shoot, uh, Darwin is going to be good fun, and um, and I think it will be. Uh, yeah, it's always good to, to meet people, and and Darwin's a beautiful time, a beautiful place that time of year, and no doubt uh, there should be some challenging courses of fire and some good people around, and I imagine I'll probably take the podcast gear up there, and we'll do something up there as well. So, um, not that that's necessarily incentive; that may actually keep people away. Never mind. You don't have to be on the podcast if you don't want to um butters you're on the pod oh no butters will be on the podcast anyway won't he he'll he'll be quite happy to do that um so um we just had a question come through let me grab that was it about my beard it's looking a little gray yeah it is (laughs) 
So uh, one of the questions that's come through on Facebook Live is, is there a way that you guys do quick math in your head when you see prices in US dollars? I've been listening to your podcast from America. Awesome. And wonder when you say a price in AUD, how that compares to our prices here. I guess it comes down to how much of a price bump do you experience beyond the exchange rate. Yeah. Okay. Depends on the item, really, doesn't it? Yeah, there, there is other elements of that and who it comes through and all that sort of gear. Um, but, you know, as a bit of a correlation some of the stuff that i bought in generally it's about a, a one so if it's a thousand dollars in the u.s it's sixteen hundred dollars australian mm. and that's including usually some freight aspects some duties and gst and bits and pieces um so i usually find about a 1.6 factor and that of course mm. varies um from day to day um yeah. Uh, yeah, and who's bringing the items into? Yeah, sure. That's based on stuff that I've, I've bought in um, mm. as well. So, and, and that'll vary a little bit depending if you're under under the, the GST, the tax threshold here, um, and a few other bits and pieces. So, um, to uh, Brayton, thank you very much for listening from the US. It's wonderful to have some overseas uh, listeners, uh, and thanks for uh, contributing. Got a question there from Scott Patel. This is the one that distracted me before, uh, which was, uh, what do you, uh, what cartridge, I'm, I'm scrolling the wrong way, what cartridge do you recommend for a new starter in PRS matches? And I'd, I'd tell them, probably not 300 win mag, uh, Scotty. That's probably what I'd go with. Um, I think we, we probably covered that a huge amount. Um, but, you know, usually in the, in the, well, my simple answer to that one is if you are reloading, um, that's probably the deciding factor. And if you are reloading, probably a, a Creedmoor or a 6.5 by 47 or a 6 mil Creed or something on those lines would be a really good, sensible way to go. Um, 260 as well, I mean, that's what I shoot and that's what I like. Um, if you are not reloading, um, 308 would probably be a good option. But... That certainly was my answer uh, a couple of years ago, and probably in the last year or so, that 6.5 Creedmoor ammo has started to actually come down to a, a more sensible price. So I'm perhaps going to have to reevaluate my answer on that question at this point and get some prices on some ammo because I've noticed they've dropped, but I've not paid conscious attention to it. So you're talking just straight factory? In terms of factory Six rifle? Creed. Yeah. You said the price come down. For yeah, on, on, on factory ammo seems yeah, to be, you know, there's a lot yeah, more right prevalence up. around about it. So you yep. you can pick it up a lot better um, than it was. And then, of course, 260 ammo um, usually uh, used to cost, a, well, it still does cost a, a lot of money. Obviously, there's not that, there been that take up with it. But Creedmoor, there is certainly a lot more around. So, yeah, based on that and, and availability of guns, that's probably the other factor. Mm. I mean, six five by forty seven or six by forty sevens are really good options, mm. but you just it's it's not so easy to pick up a gun in that. Yeah. yeah well, does anybody offer six by forty seven as a factory? I'm not I, sure. I've not heard of it. I'm either. sure somebody probably does somewhere in the world, yeah. but I mean, you look at the amount of um, you know amount of options there are now in six point five Creedmoor. Mm. Basically, everybody yeah. everybody offers it, in, even in sporter configuration. So yeah, you know. Economy of scale, the price of ammo is going to come down. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's right. And um, I mean, there's 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 not nicer fancy calibers around and bits and pieces, but in in terms of realistically just picking up a gun and getting into it, um, probably makes a lot of sense. So. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, another question come through. Um, Eric would like to know what scope we would choose for a 338 Lapua in a Seiko TRG 42. Um, and he's just getting into long range shooting, I believe. How much would you like to spend? I guess would probably be the first. <laughs> That's got to right, be let's, the first. Well, let's, let's assume this. He's bought a Seiko TRG 42. So let's say they're, they're a relatively expensive gun. So let's let's match it up with a an appropriate scope for that gun. Let's put dollars aside unless Eric is going to give us a budget during this question. Schmidt and Bender PM2. Yep. Five to twenty-five. Pretty pretty solid option. I would have thought. Greg, is there anything you... more expensive, Greg? Or? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mainly I mainly run sort of mid low range scopes anyway, so I've, I don't have much knowledge of the high end stuff. Yeah, okay. I, I run like my best scopes are XRS Bushnell Tactical Elite. So yep, yeah, my my knowledge base isn't really strong in that area. Sure. Yeah, um, is scope things scope questions are one of those ones where the, you really have to know what they want to spend. Um, well, he's just he's just clarified that for us. He's uh, uh, he said no budget. I'm assuming that's there's no limit to the budget, or there is no money. He's going to have to just put a toilet <laughs> roll on visa. top. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you want to go high end, I mean, there's you know, there's there are options. You know, Schmidt do you know some of the the high end Schmidt stuffs really nice. Yeah. Um. You know, there's some high end Steiner. They make some really nice gear. You know, Tangent Theta, even. Mm. Um. It, it it would be one of those questions. If you don't have a a budget, it would be good if you could. You know, get and actually have a look and a feel of a whole bunch of different scopes because yep. you know the, you know what it's like the scopes have a different feel to them you know the different sort of how the, the clicks feel and and how Reticules sort of and yeah, yeah and how you know how sort of forgiving <coughs> eye relief is and that sort of thing mm. so what one guy really likes yeah. the next guy might yeah, not true. I mean when yeah. you, when you're in the high dollar value sort of over the over the three thousand sort of Australian dollar mark. You, you're generally going to get the features that are going to make it a good scope. You're going to get reliable tracking. You're going to get you know, zero stop. You're going to get holding point of impact. Mm. You're going to get good glass. So it comes down to subjective, you know, what you like the look of, what you like the feel of. Yeah, totally. So there's a dozen different options that you could go down, yeah, without actually knowing, you know, what you like the feel of and the look of. Mm. A bit hard to sort of say this is the one for you. Um but yeah, I guess it's probably if you can get to somewhere that has these items, probably be a good way to go. Yeah, brilliant. We've got a um, uh, message there from Craig, um, and it's wonderful to have input from other guys on on board. Um, he uses a Schmidt Bender five to twenty five by fifty six PM two on his Blazer in three three eight. No problems. Uh, out to nineteen hundred and eighty meters. Uh, all personal mm. preferences. Oh. Well, as ability and how much you want to spend, and that that sums that up pretty well. I think um, one of the things that um, that a lot of guys will uh, be looking for information on this sort of stuff, and I'm sure we've we've talked about it in one of our um, um, uh, our previous scope podcasts, although they were pretty early on in there, is that a lot of people, and I had the question on my phone call last night, um, a lot of people thinking that 
it's a 338, so I want to shoot a long way, so I should just get as much magnification as possible. And and the offset, as many people will, will realize, is that um, you go up to like a 50 power scope and you don't get the elevation range, range yeah. in yeah. that scope to be able to make those, you know, make use of that caliber at distance. Mm. Having said that, things probably in the last two or three years, I, I've noticed more and more scopes in that pushing that top limit in terms of magnification of, you know, sort of 30, 40, 50, and even a touch more power while still maintaining a reasonable amount of elevation. And mm. so um, it's a consideration to look at um, where having that additional magnification could help at those extended ranges where you're shooting, you know, 1,500 metres and beyond, you know, if you get to two or three or whatever. And, you know, we've looked at, well, we talked about a, that that periscope-type product um, being able to try and get more elevation. Well, with those sort of things, you could perhaps offset a little bit of that uh, loss in elevation um, and bumpy magnification up. Now, all things taken into account of you know being able to see mirage and wind and other bits and pieces, but I think the the technology has moved a little bit from the discussion three or four years ago. Yeah, look, it has, but I think you know from my sort of perspective, I, mm-hmm. you're all if you're running fifty or sixty power or eighty power, your field of view is tiny. Yeah, um, yeah, agree. Straight away, you're not going to see any trace at all, basically. If you're mm-hmm. shooting beyond 1,500 metres, the bullet's out of your field of view. You're not even going to see roughly where it's going, uh, for one. And, and just the the re- reduction in you know what you can see as far as grass and trees and yeah. the atmospheric conditions, it, to me, you know, I've shot well past 2,000 metres and I've done it with a, a 25 power scope. Mm. Um, and on relatively small targets, you know, you're talking, you know, definitely sub-MOA size targets. So... Yeah, no, I don't think you need that that big magnification. No, I I, I actually agree with you. Um, but I guess I just wanted to point out that now we're we're seeing that shift in in it used to be that that it was always the, the in most cases the compromise between you you wouldn't go a, a forty fifty or sixty um, uh, magnification. Big, with the, the the blunt rule being you won't have the elevation and the scope internally. Um, now that's shifting. It's not changed completely, but it's shifting a little bit in some products. Um, there are other factors to take into account still. But I guess if you know that there's a march um, goes up to 40 power, I don't recall what, what it starts at. I think it might have been 8 or something. But there's a march that goes up to 40 that I, I looked at because it had point, uh, 0.05 mil clicks. Um, so you have a slightly finer adjustment, um, but it still had the elevation range uh, that you would need to, to push those distances. And, of course, you could wind it back to 25 or 30 power. Again, the, the question would then be, how does that reticle look at those magnification ranges? And also, you know, how many, what's your elevation adjustment per revolution of your turret, for yes, example? Yeah, you yeah. know, if you're trying to dial quickly. Yep. You know, you're going to be left having to really crank on that turret versus, you know, coarser clicks. So, yeah, now f- fair points, fair points. So, I, I'm not actually sure we've answered the question. Um, 
But anyway, I think uh, there's, gave him some consideration there's some things anyway. to think yeah. about and, and perhaps a few a few understandings have, have shifted forward a little bit. Um, but, yeah, certainly the, the, the fundamental of, of making those decisions um, don't always chase magnification because um, mm. there's plenty of scopes out there still that are 40, 50 power magnification that have rubbish elevation yeah. uh, amounts. So um, I've currently got... From personal experience, I've currently got a Vortex Gen 2 Razor on my 338. Um, that's what's sitting on there. I have used a Bushnell XRS and I've used a Carlos 624i. Um, so I think the Bushnell is what I what I use for the longest shot I've made on that gun. And I think the Carlos is what I made the longest uh, hunting shot on that gun. So... Yeah, whatever. I guess uh, when uh, when our trip is due next time to go long range hunting, the Vortex mm. will probably be on there, and we'll use that. So, yep. um, as long as the top end, you know, reasonably top end sc- capable scope, I think you're going to do all right. Yeah. Oh, a- Andy points out that the Schmidt and Bender have dropped their warranty to two years, so that's perhaps oh, something okay. to consider uh, if you are looking at Schmidt and Bender. Mm. Okay, that's interesting. Unusual. What was it? Uh, more than two years, I guess, if they've yeah. dropped it. <laughs> I'm not yes. sure. Yeah. Um, oh, and, and should be uh, should be having a, a Steiner over here shortly, so we actually might get some hands on, because you mentioned that, Greg, the Steiner would be a good option, or mm. another potential option, so we'll perhaps add some hands-on experience with that to uh, pass that on as well. Um, Adam Ars is the PRS coming to Perth, let's say WA in general. Uh, let's hope so. So, you, quite honestly, Adam, at this point, there are then no further details on where where the next PRS will be. It's all um, in discussions at the moment. So, we are hoping to uh, have dates and details locked down as soon as we can. And as I said, we uh, we will pass it on. So, uh, Andy clarifies, uh, thanks, Andy, um, that it was twenty five years for the warranty. Now it's a two year unlimited, and then it only covers parts um, from there. Interesting. So. Yeah, Interesting okay. to see. A lot of companies gone the other way, haven't they? They've gone to a longer, longer yeah, warranty with more coverage. Because normally, what they do is they, they they can calculate how how many things can fail in that period, and they they do yep. like a provision in the price. Mm-hmm. So yep. by shortening it, they can lower the provision in the price. I have heard that. Yeah, and it's a way of getting the the shelf price down. But obviously, you know, as a consumer, the warranty yeah is shorter, but. They may, if their prices drop with it, it makes sense. But yeah, who knows? Oh, I think yeah, an issue that you know probably all scope manufacturers, you know, the high end ones would have is that if you give a lifetime warranty on something and you have a scope come in that was made twenty years ago mm. and discontinued seventeen years ago, what do you do? You know, like sooner or later you run out of parts. Yeah, you got to be careful um, too. When I say lifetime too. It, these days, it often means, well, you guys were in the scope industry, but in other industries, lifetime is lifetime of the product. Yeah. So when it goes obsolete in 10 years' time, so does the warranty. That's that's yeah. for a lot of stuff outside of scopes. Um, it might be different for scopes, though. Yeah, well, I think um, I did hear that uh, Tangent Theta, I think, are basically the, the next generation of uh, Premier Heritage. There, yeah, I don't know the connection. There is some connection. And I, I believe they were honouring warranties where they could. Yeah, I can. You know, like if, yeah. if they don't have parts, then they can't, That's I guess. Right. Yeah, so, if they don't exist. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, interesting one. Um, 
would be uh, would be good. We've got some uh, some exciting episodes coming up, by the way. Um, there's some some good interviews and bits and pieces, and hopefully we'll be getting some coverage from some guys. Um, we spoke to in the last episode you would hear. We spoke to Kirk from Precision Rifle Media. Uh, he was a good lad, um, and he was talking about going across to the uh, the King of Two Mile shoot, which will well by the time this goes up, the event will probably be on. Um, or a week off, depending on uh, on where my dates are up to, um, and so and so the uh, that is on, and then in conjunction with that is the World Series for the uh, or the World Shoot for um, Fifty Cow Association as well. So uh, we should have some guys coming up that will talk a bit more about that, which will be uh, excellent. That's good. So, have you guys got any uh, shooting plans in the next uh, few weeks at all? Oh, I've done a fair bit in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, but, you would uh, tell us a bit more about it, Greg, because yeah, you have you have been out. Toy. Yeah, no. So I um, uh, went up to Karoonda up in the South Aussie Mallee region and gave uh, took my rifle with the the new chassis for its first run. Yeah, and yeah, it was good. Good. We didn't get onto the foxes. We did see a few, but they're a bit skittish. It was a full moon, but um, mm-hmm. put put a big dent in the uh, rabbit numbers. Uh, up on this particular farm but uh, yeah had good fun I had um, uh, Simo who's been on the podcast before he was with me with IR so we had Thermal and IR running yeah right Um, that's a good combination so it is a good combination because I can see a lot with Thermal Mm -hmm. sometimes you can't ID things and that's where IR can kick in yeah okay like a heat signature and he can get on it and get colour and well to a a degree can get colour texture yeah pretty pretty amazing bit of kit actually yeah Um, sure yeah, and then um, I've, I went up to another property. I've got a couple of foxes up there. Uh, I had the radius on that time, so I gave the radius a bit of a run. Um, got that out to 800, I think. And that's, yeah, that was as far as I could get and the fog rolled in. Yeah, okay. Um, uh, but the other handy thing is that there's a zeroing laser on the radius that, that has a like, base, basically a visual laser come out the front that you use to align your... Yeah, um, right your radius so it's parallel with your uh, optical sight line. So you can you use that as a 100 metre? Yeah, you can use yeah. that. <laughs> I was using that to do target indications at night because, you you know, all the lights oh, are off right. thermal. So um, Simo, who's got IR, couldn't see where I was looking, basically, because yep. it's pitch black. Because you're looking just in the dark. And, uh, yeah, and he just following my red laser everywhere. <laughs> and he could actually see where the laser was hitting the target. So, yeah, nice. Um I was using that to get him on target. So yeah, no, we had a we had a couple of good nights and um, yeah. So yeah, yeah, good fun. A few foxes and ferals and, over. And tell us about that. I mean, you've had some now hands-on experience with that MDT uh, EWS chassis. Yeah. Which I mean, for me, I, like I've I've, I've I've liked the MDT stuff, but it's never. No, none of their chassis have ever grabbed me to to go. Oh, I definitely want to go grab that one. Yeah. And when we saw that one in the US, it shot. I went. Right, that's the first one that's really kind of gone. Oh, that I could use that. I'd be really yeah. keen on that. Yeah, basically, I really like it. Um, mm-hmm. It's my first chassis. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, I just find it uh, aligned. Oh, how do you explain it? It just feels rock solid. Rock solid compared to a normal. Because I've gone from a super varmint stock ticker, yeah, super varmint yeah, stock. Ticker, super varmint stock to a um, to a chassis. And the the chassis just seems so rock solid in comparison to uh, the normal stock, and um, <laughs> you clowns. And uh, so 
basically, I really like it. Um, I've got the accessories, so I can put the side rail on. I've got my Atlas bipod underneath. Um, I've basically, I bought it to configure for my thermal rig, and um, I've pretty much done that. I just want to get the, I just want to get the, um, uh, the folder for it. There's supposed to be a folder coming out, um, so I just want to get that <laughs> sorted out. And the other thing is, uh, I've got a two point. Uh, what is it? Magpul MS4 two point harness. Uh, sorry, sling coming. So okay, yep. So hopefully, getting in and out of the vehicle, that'll sort that side of things out. Yeah, nice. Yeah, coming together. So happy. Yeah, very happy. Because you've got very the happy. um, you've got the one with the, like the, the partial rail on the front. Yeah, I've got a um, oh, it's called the NV rail, which has just got a little bit of rail up the front part of the the fore end. Yeah, I like that one. Um, yeah, I didn't particularly want that. But that's what was in stock. Oh, I'll, but I'll I actually, take it then. I that's like fine. It. I'll no take problem. it. I'm not a fussy man. No, I'm not right a range bling guy. Um, <laughs> uh, so I just grabbed that setup. I'm really happy with it. Uh, I know they're coming out with a carbon fiber four end soon ish, and they're also coming out with the folder soon ish. So I'll hope, hopefully, be able to get my hands on on those moving forward. Yep. Uh, that's a 17 inch four end. I think they do a 15 and. Another longer one or something. Yeah. Okay. So I want to yep. go the shorter, and I'm going to update the the rifle to two four three, and I might look at chopping it down. I think the folder would probably be the most sort of valuable addition there. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, I don't know how much you're going to save with the carbon four end, and given that it's not a rifle, you're packing around the mountains, it's in and out of a vehicle. It's it's more sort of length and maneuverability. Yeah, you're right. Especially if this sling system works quite well. Um, I'll be pretty happy, I think. I've yeah. Got, got it where I want it. Absolutely. And um, we could be packing it in, in around the mountains shortly. Absolutely. Um, but mm. with that, that folder, so that folder you could put on there and it'll become a folder and then yeah, remove it and, and away you, if you wanted to go interstate or something. Yeah, that's right. So that that was the principle. Like I was going to get, like on a previous podcast, what was that, X, XLR chassis? Yep. Um, but unfortunately, the supplier had, a, his shop got flooded, so... He was getting up and running. Yeah, long yeah, story. Right. Anyway, okay. I thought, all right, well, that's off the table for now. So I'll go. I'll go with the MDTSS. Sure. But um, yeah, what was I saying? Yeah, all as I know is the the folders coming out. I wanted both, and I could do that with the XLR as well. Yep. Um, so that when I went to New South Wales, because I got properties in New South Wales, I could change to a fixed, and then when I'm you know in South Australia where folders are legal, I could just swap it over. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm hoping to get one of those chassis that you've got on my 300 Win Mag. Um, oh, you're nice. Yeah, so that yep. would be uh, that would be certainly good fun. Yep. So I guess it relates back to what we we're talking about before with the Howers and and also then the truing of the uh, the bolts and all that sort of gear. Um, a true Remington 700 and uh, match barrel. Would we save the cash and get a new action? And I think this is a question that a lot of guys get, uh, well, end up, you know, they start off with like a, uh, you know, with a REM 700, for example, in, in this one here, and they go, right, do we do we true it up and go, you know, progress through that thing and eventually get a, um, get a, a new barrel on there and all that sort of stuff, or do we, um, do we just can it all and just go with a, a custom action? 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, this well, is uh, this is one we want to uh, we want to cover clearly. I, I do like custom actions, not necessarily all of them. Um, you know, I mean, Defiance, for example, they're nice, mm. um, but I, are they justified over, say, a Stiller? Yeah, I don't think so. The old so. diminishing returns. Yeah, and you can look mm. at application as well. Mm. I mean, some of the you know the Bentress type actions, they're they're super tight. You know, the tolerances are tiny on them, but if you were to use them at, say, the previous PRI we had, where everybody had sand in their actions, you, you, you're you gone. Yeah, um, yeah. So Get it's all right. application. Mm. You know, what's mm. the application of the, of the rifle? If you're trying to build a, you know, a PRS-type gun, how much money have you got? It, that's yeah. really what it comes down to. <laughs> and the other thing, <laughs> I guess the other thing, too, is like I started with the uh, REM 700. Shot hor- well, didn't shoot horribly. It didn't shoot great either, um, and I just progressively did it over time. So that's always an option too. To all right, there was a big jump when I when I got rid of the factory stock and and went to a manners stock. That yep. made a huge difference, you know. And then I rebarreled, uh, and that made a massive difference. So you know that was a progressive spend. Yeah. Um, so that's always another option that would work with a Remy because Remys do tend to like being. Uh, uh, I guess, upgraded. Um, yeah, so that's something to think about as well, I guess. I mean, it depends on what your plans are for the, the gun in its current configuration. I mean, if you're going to get a custom action, is it just going to get put aside? Because I guess it's then wasted money, really, isn't it? So <laughs> We've had you... we've had clarification that, that it is for a PRS-type build. Okay. Depends whether you want to keep shooting or look, whether look, you want to park your bits until you got all your bits together and you know, you know there's so many options I'll probably get <laughs> crucified by the likes of Greg mm. here but there's nothing wrong with a Remington action particularly if you're prepared to work on it <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yes. there's, there's prob- yeah. You know, look, no, I know yeah I agree and they're not all the same you know some yeah. of them as they come from the factory to be honest they need a lot of work to make them really nice um, some of them they're pretty good, like they're, yeah. they're concentric and you know the, the lugs bear evenly and all that sort of stuff. So you don't have to do a lot to them to get them to be to that level where they're yeah. not going to give anything away to a, a stiller, for example. So you know, in that aspect, depends again depends what he wants. I mean, if you're trying to get out of it for the the, the cheapest pro- possible price, I would say you're probably better to stick with the action you've got, unless it's a real warped one or. Yeah, yeah, it's got some there's major so flaws. There's options with Remy too, you know. There's so many aftermarket options, economical options too, you know. Yeah, or, or higher end options. You know, if you were to look at, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna put the Remy aside and and build something from scratch. You okay? Say two grand for an action. Yep. You know, a and grand, then some, yeah. a grand for a barrel, and then you know, however much for a trigger and, sure. and this and that. So, I guess it depends on if that if money's no object, I'd say yeah, knock your socks off and and build yeah. something on top end. But if you're trying to utilize what you've got to the most effective degree well i would probably stick with with the action you've got and uh, and go from there personally yeah um i think uh so my take on it um there's there's a few things that i want to point out so let's uh let's clarify if you've got if you're going to compromise what your scope's going to be by spending the money on your action don't Good point. Put put the money into your scope. Get that clarif- yeah, good with some good rings or good bases or whatever it is. So don't skimp on some stuff that's quite important. Deciding between doing up your Remy or or buying a surgeon. Um, 
so that's my first point. Um, I guess my, my second then is that, um, I mean, I've got, you know, run Steelers commonly and, and then have I've got three or four uh, Remy's and, and I, I certainly prefer the Steelers. I do. I, you know, the, the aftermarket action is nicer, is more comfortable to use, has some little bit of better features. And I've done my, my 2250 is probably the best example that I've, I've pimped that out a little bit to replicate some of the stuff, some of the benefits that you get from uh, going with aftermarket action. Had my, had my time again, I would have built it on aftermarket action, but by that point, I was already a few dollars into it, and so work with what I've got, and the gun shoots, so I've got no complaints about it. So um, that's the way I've, I've gone with that. Um, so I think if you've, you know, if the money is less of a concern, um, I have seen some benefits in those aftermarket actions, and it's up to you to decide whether it's a stiller or a defiant or a surgeon or one of the many other actions that are out there. Um, the I mean I my favourites personally are the surgeon the defiance and the um, impact precision actions those three are sort of my favourite but then again I've have been recommended to try a bighorn action which I haven't had a chance to yet so I'd be keen to try that so there's there's always there's always good stuff out there um, but I think yeah as long as you're not compromising on something else um, then cool throw throw the money into it if as long as you're using it. Um, I've you know I'm in that position and uh, you know guys who have listened to the podcast previously a few times uh, will know that um, I debated whether or not I rebarrel um, a a second surgeon a surgeon stiller um, to run my trainer on or just go with the Remington that was pretty much set up for it. And I went with the Remington and, and now what am I down uh, three or three months down that process now of, of having used it and it doesn't, yeah, I got the bolt handle changed so it feels like a stiller in that regard. Yeah, I've, I've got no complaints about it. it. It's teaching me from a training point of view, it's teaching me everything I need to need to know um, about, you know, running my 260. Um yeah, you know, so if I was up for an action, I'd, I'd now be up for a couple with a trainer and stuff, so it would get pretty expensive to change over. Um, so, yeah, I, I see value in the, the custom stuff, and I'd probably prefer to go down that path myself. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be running some good scopes, and I don't feel I'm compromising on those at all to, to be able to do so. So I'll just wait until I can afford it. Um yeah, so that's probably that's probably where I sit at the moment. But you know, in terms of someone who's fresh and new, if you've got a Rem seven hundred and you're about to get it rebarreled, I think what your point before was, Andrew, if you're about to rebarrel now, then um, get it blueprinted, get it trued up. But don't don't you know? Um, I think there's a lot of benefit in what you said, Greg, with in terms of being able to do it a bit over time. So throwing a bit of money, you know, here and there and there and there and seeing sort of gradual improvements rather than a custom build from scratch. I think if the custom build stops you from shooting now, probably don't go down that path. Because I know I know one, I know a customer of mine who um, has talked about getting into this stuff for two or three or four years now. Mm. And only, you know, sort of two or three years into it, they got their first rifle and now they're talking about their second because they realised their first wasn't perhaps ideal. And it's all, you know, you're talking eight grand plus a gun and, yeah, you, you get into that and you go, oh, it's not, it's not exactly what I want. I think you better grab it and get started into it. So mm. that would be uh, that would be excellent. Um, oh, 
Yeah, uh, he's currently running a, uh, sorry, more clarification around that question, currently running a um, Bushnell XRS um, in a Ram 700 with 243 varmint in a Magpul 700 stock. Um, yeah, we've probably, we've probably, look, I think they're, they're, they're details that you might want to work on um, in terms of there's nothing particularly wrong with the setup you're running at mm. the moment there, Jake. Yeah. And, um, yeah, do you go for a custom action? Um, I'd Personally, I'd probably upgrade your stock first. I'd put the money into that myself. What, you, what stock did he say? It's a had? Magpul stock. Okay, I'm not so, overly familiar. I haven't used one myself either. Yeah. So I've played with one a little bit, and um, there's there's nothing wrong with them. A good place, great place to start. But that's probably something that I'd get something so you can get a bit more comfortable behind yeah. the gun. Um, but that's my my preference. Um, Jake may really enjoy that stock. So yeah, yeah nothing nothing particularly wrong with that stock uh, per se. There's probably a few things I'd, I'd tweak. Um, there is uh, also a question there. So sorry, Jake. I think I think we've clarified at least our stance on a few of those things. Um, but you know, we're worthwhile seeking some more um, some more information. Um, there was another question there. How do you? This is from uh, from Fat Jesus. Um, how do I beat butters in a competition? You run up and give him a dead arm just before a stage. <laughs> Sorry, did I say that? I was going to say take his bolt. Um, Johnny, my um, uh, my clarification for you, mate, how do you beat butters is go, mate, your match director, your scores shouldn't count. This thing's rigged and then storm out <laughs> and come down to South Australia and shoot with us. All right, cool. You go with that. that. No yeah. other suggestions? No, no. I know. Put his, put his ammo in the freezer. He can't deal with the cold. <laughs> put him in the freezer even better. Yeah. Yeah, do that. That would be good as well. Uh, so Shane asks, uh, since you're talking about the MDT EWS, I'm thinking about doing a budget build with the EWS and a Howard Barrel action for the PRS type events. What are your thoughts on that? Which perhaps we've, in a convoluted way, we've probably covered a few of those things. Yeah. yeah. So you're in the game. Yeah, I'd bloody jump on board, mate. That's mm. a that's a get good a, combo. Get a good yeah. caliber, you know, a suitable caliber, and, and yeah, run get with the it. six mils or the six and a half mils, and yeah. Man, you're in the game. Yeah, Shane. I think um, I think that's uh, again coming back to if you keep the keep the price down, the rifle put the money into the scope. The scope will transfer to a, a nicer rifle later on if you decide you need to. But that uh, EWS, as soon as I saw it, I thought, nah, that's 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 the that's the go for it. keeping things on the on the budget price. I think that with a uh, Howard ticker Remy action, whatever whatever is appropriate, and Howard is obviously pretty cheap at the moment. Um, yeah, get stuck into it, mate. Uh, do that and and start shooting. Um, uh, Fat Jesus asks again, who's a better shooter, Scotty or Andy? Well, we're going to have to go on results uh, from that, and we've got them coming on the podcast shortly. So let's uh, we'll we'll put that question to them. I think the answer for that would be butters, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. Uh, let's say it's not butters. Um, Sweet. All right. Well, I think um, put put Roth in the freezer to beat Butters. Yeah, I think Jake's onto something there. That's a uh, that's a good one. Good. And the other the other method, um, which uh, Fat Jesus has said there as well, is uh, putting uh, Butters scope caps down before he shoots. Um, I, Butters, I think. Uh, sorry, uh, uh, Johnny. I think probably the best way to go with that is don't put both down because both give it away. Just put the put the objective down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're onto it, Andrew. Put the the front one down. So he gets, but he looks at his gun, looks right. Get behind the gun, looks right. Pull your eye up to the scope. 
we're in trouble here. So just yeah, got to got to play that tactical game. Just the one in front, leave the one at the back up. Awesome, one twenty grit, wet and dry on the lenses. <laughs> Probably, yeah. yeah, yeah, that'll work. That'll work. Or just remove the trigger as well. Yeah, good. Yeah, good all, all sorts of methods of how to win a match. <laughs> Quality advice. So speaking about PRS long range shooting and 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 advice on terms of how to do things better. Um, Coming up in the next minute or so, you guys are going to hear a stack of the responses we got back to the question um, of, if you were starting out in long-range shooting and this type of shooting again, what would you do differently? So a bunch of guys, a bunch of you guys have submitted a responses to that, and um, so we're going to play them in a moment, and they, they'll be new to us as well. We haven't heard all the responses yet, so they're going to be on the end of this podcast. Yeah, and then what we're going to do is jump over to our Facebook page, just look up Precision Shooting Podcast on Facebook, and you will find um, you'll find us out there. And on there, we're going to have all the responses listed, and we would ask that you will um, nominate which response you like the best. And we've got two of those uh, Precision Shooting Podcast coffee mugs available. Do you think we could probably go as far as to um, have one autographed, Greg? Greg, are you willing to sign one of these things? It's certainly double its value to yeah. 14 bucks. <laughs> Excuse me? Paid more than that for yeah, him. Yeah, so, no, I'm just joking. Yeah, that's right. $15, guys. Uh, 15 So there's one of these uh, these podcast mugs there. What we're going to do is, is um, whoever asks the best question um, that gets the most votes, um, we're going to uh, give them one of these mugs. And then one of the per people who votes as well, randomly, we're going to choose one of those guys who uh, submits a vote and uh, check out Facebook for how that's going to work. And they will also get one of the mugs. Um, unfortunately, we can only send these within Australia, but appreciate your vote if you are outside the country as well and your submission. So... Um, Guys, thank you very much for coming in, and uh, it's been fun actually having uh, Facebook Live going along the uh, the side and asking questions and bits and pieces. Guys, thank you very much for joining us tonight, for listening to us, for watching us, you sick people, and uh, we look forward to uh, getting one of these mugs out to so two lucky uh, winners in the next few weeks. Cheers, lads. All right, all good. Cheers, thank you. Hi, my name's Sean McNally, and uh, things I would have done if I was starting over again would be not trying to build two rifle systems to do the one job. I was building a 308 and a 243 at the same time. Um, I would have concentrated on one one gun and and learning that a lot more. I I was a bit time poor with trying to build my rifles, um, so I would have uh, spent more time on just one rifle and concentrated on that and learning it and and getting it dialed in getting the ammo with a lot of time that I was going to run in that gun and um, yeah just stick stick with the one thing and, and, and learn that rather than try and spread your time over uh, multiple platforms I suppose. That's Hi guys uh, thanks for your podcast um, so what would I do differently if I could start over again? Well there would be uh, Definitely a few small things I'd like to change. Um, it's not something I really thought much about until listening to that topic on your podcast. Um, but while listening, I was doing some reloading with my uh, trusty bean scales and thinking how much money I could have saved and been using a nice uh, RCBS charge master that 
could have essentially saved me a couple of hours um, to spend more time with the family. Well, that's what the uh, other half probably like to hear, but uh, more than likely more time reloading. Um, but one thing I would uh, love to have changed is the calibre choice I made along the way. Um, I was lucky enough to grow up on some land and been shooting at a young age. Uh, Dad was a mad duck hunter, so I learnt most uh, things off him, including some reloading for shotguns and some rifle. Um, so there weren't too many fails or consequences along the way, because essentially it didn't really pay for anything. Um, once I got a bit older, I got into the rifle side of things, um, mainly spotlighting foxes. Um, I wanted one calibre for everything, um, from foxes, deer, pig. Uh, my choice ended up being a 308 uh, wing model 70. I was reloading some 125 grains for the foxes and 160 grains for the bigger stuff. I soon found out that it was a bad choice after missing uh, a lot of foxes compared to my dad's triple two. And one night uh, with shooting with a mate, he was using his 223 Seiko, um, I realised what a mistake I had made. Uh, just with noise, recoil and all the factors above. So over the next year I ended up getting a 204 and have had great success since. Other than that I'm pretty happy with the way things have gone. Uh, with the internet making information much easier to find, uh, shows, podcasts like yours and something I watch every now and then, uh, 8541 Tactical, making things very easy. Um, compared to when I first started. Uh, thanks for your podcast. Look forward to future episodes while drinking out of my new coffee mug. Uh, if you notice, I left my uh, address in the email to save you guys time uh, posting it out. Um, yeah, so thanks for that. Bye. Yeah, yeah, my name's uh, Fat Jesus. Um, <laughs> if you were to get into shooting, something I'll do, I'll probably just get something simple, something that works, do a bit of research. Ask some guys down the club what they use. There's heaps of stuff on the website, lots of websites to check it out, and just get something basic just to start. And from there, you when you start coming up with these comps, you'll start meeting guys and seeing what others use and start talking. And then from there, once you you get that, you sort of can start building your own rifle and just learn the basics. Like start working on positions. You don't have to shoot live rounds every week. Just go out to a range, do some dry fire, build some barricades in your room, but the biggest thing is just start, like get into it. You know? Once you get into it, you get these things, you meet so many guys, like the amount of guys I've met so far from coming down to PRI, like Scotty and Andy and all those guys, it's been it's such a learning curve. And coming into these events, it's like, you know, it's like drinking out of a fire hose, you know. <laughs> There's so much stuff that you learn and it's been awesome and everyone's so friendly. It's the best, best thing I've ever done so far and I love it. G'day guys, it's Hamish here from Melbourne. If I had my time again, I would be getting some professional tuition as soon as I possibly could. I spent a long time fumbling around with my first semi-precision rifle, missing a lot of shots and wasting a fair bit of ammunition because I just didn't really know what I was doing. 
I sort of learned a few hard lessons, I suppose, but uh, nonetheless, I think that the tuition for me would be the best way to go. The other thing that I would do would be to get onto the ballistics app bandwagon a lot sooner than what I did. However, they weren't around when I first started my shooting, so not really applicable in a sense. But if you were to be teaching yourself, I think that the best thing that you can do is get an app because once you learn the ins and outs of the app, it can help you find some of the things you're not quite doing right as far as dopes and those sorts of things. It won't teach you how to hold the rifle correctly or judge for wind correctly, but it will tell you how to minimise your drop mistakes that you're going to have. I bought my Ruger Precision and after hearing your podcast with Todd Hodnett, I went along with the zeroing in 10 rounds I did a little bit of truing with the remainder five of the first box and with round number 16 I decided to take an 800 meter shot and the ballistics app just helped me bang straight on so it's uh, one of those things that you can use to your advantage to teach you how to shoot a little bit better but still nonetheless my first point would be paid professional tuition to help you with trigger fundamentals and to hold the rifle correctly and then some sort of app to save a bit of money on generating dopes. G'day, I'm Carl Fabreski. Thinking back on today's activities, the biggest sort of takeaways in terms of what I would do differently if I had to reshoot today is probably just the actual strategies of every individual little stage and putting maybe a little bit more time into the the planning I suppose so just thinking back there a few times I'd go into it maybe the minutes leading up to the start buzzer with a plan still flip-flopping in my head instead of really having a clear plan that I was going to stick to and left it maybe a little bit late to decide on sort of a course of what I was going to do and then was the best was it the worst not sure but the indecision sort of got to me more than anything but aside from that, the guns were going great and I've got no excuses, unfortunately, on the kit I'm using. So, yeah, just more time on prepping and planning little tactics behind every little stage was a big one I'd take away from. So if I was to start again, I'd probably buy something something factory like, or if I could, maybe a Ruger precision rifle or that new ticker if I was starting from scratch and maybe a Night Force SHV first focal and i would just just work on that working on being a like just a 308 i wouldn't worry about any fancy caliber just yet and just really get to know that rifle and essentially that's kind of what i did because i had that i had that pierce and krieger action in ai stock and you know it was a pistol grip ai stock and i sort of Learned how to shoot that really well, and that's why I ended up going the AX because it felt similar with a much better trigger, basically. And um, so I don't think I would would change too much, other than maybe start with a relatively quality uh, factory rifle suited for this style of shooting. Thanks for listening to the Precision Shooting Podcast. To continue the discussion. 
check out our Facebook page. And for more information, head to our website, www.precisionshootingpodcast.com.au. This episode was brought to you by Projectile Warehouse. Find your perfect projectile.